Luke 1, 26, 38. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the, sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called, be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The word of the Lord. We'd like to invite our ushers forward for our morning offering, a time when we give our money, that is to say our hearts, to the Lord and uh, invite them forward. And then before we begin the offering, let me pray. Our pastoral prayer this morning comes from a writer uh, from New York City by the name of Frederick Beekner. Let's pray together. Thou son of the most high, prince of peace, be born again into our world. Wherever there is war in this world, wherever there is pain, wherever there is loneliness, wherever there is no hope, come, thou long-expected one, with healing in thy wings. Holy child, whom the shepherds and the kings and the dumb beasts adored, be born again. Wherever there is boredom, wherever there is fear of failure, wherever there is temptation too strong to resist, wherever there is bitterness of heart, come, thou blessed one, with healing in thy wings. Savior, be born in each of us who raises his face to thy face, not knowing fully who he is or who thou art, knowing only that thy love is beyond his knowing and that no other has the power to make him whole. Come, Lord Jesus, to each who longs for thee, even though he has forgotten thy name. Come quickly. Amen. The meaning of Christmas is devastating because it drops two words together in a sentence to be beside each other, two words that should never be 
beside each other. Virgin birth. This morning, our text answers three questions about Christmas, about the virgin birth, and we want to track these three questions. First, what is the virgin birth? Second, why was the virgin birth necessary? And third, how should we respond to the virgin birth? So let's begin by asking the question, what is the virgin birth? And let's let Luke, a medical doctor, a researcher, let's give him first shot at explaining the virgin birth. And he may have had a little help from the Holy Spirit. In the text that was read, Mary asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That word overshadow is a a word that uh, could be translated hover and it takes us back to Genesis 1 where we have echoes of the creation story in Genesis 1-2 where the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep in the creative story that produced our world. So it's this powerful word. It's this creative word. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, let me make an attempt to put a definition out there of the virgin birth. It's my definition, so if you take issue with it, you're disagreeing with me, which means absolutely nothing. But here it goes. In miraculous conception, Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit's creative action without any sexual relationship with a man or contact with human sperm in order to give birth to the Son of God. Now, as you can imagine, The virgin birth has been a subject of reflection and discussion throughout the long history of the church. I just want to give us a glimpse of it. Let's go back to the fourth century at the most popular preacher in the world in the fourth century. They called him the golden tongue. In a sermon, John Chrysostom reflected on the virgin birth this way. It is indeed the way of nature that a woman in wedlock brings forth new life when an unwed virgin, after she has born a child, is still a virgin. Then nature here is surpassed. Of that which happens in accord with nature, we may inquire. What transcends it, we honor in silence. Not as something to be avoided, passed over, but as that which we venerate in silence, as something sublime, beyond all telling. John is preaching there from Matthew chapter 1, where uh, the, the writer wants us to be, Matthew wants us to know that while initially Joseph had in mind to break off the engagement, the angel convinces him to stay, not only stay engaged, but to get married to Mary and have this child. But it, the text is clear, the marriage was not consummated until after the child was born. And thus, What happened was a virgin gave birth and remained a virgin. John says, wow. (laughs) 
That's a miracle. That's beyond telling. You can't explain that. If you believe it, you worship. Let's go to the 20th century. The writer, C.S. Lewis, no woman ever conceived a child, no mare a foal without him. But once, and for a special purpose, he dispensed with that long line, which is his instrument. Once his life-giving finger touched a woman without passing through the ages of interlocked events. Once the great glove of nature was taking off his hand, his naked hand touched her. There was, of course, a unique reason for it. That time, he was creating not simply a man, but the man who was to be himself, was creating man anew, was beginning at this divine and human point, the new creation of all things. The whole soiled and weary universe quivered at this direct injection of essential life. Direct, uncontaminated, not drained through all the crowded history of nature. So while John Chrysostom highlights that this is a miraculous birth, Lewis emphasizes the person whom this birth brought to us was like unlike any other person. So using those quotes, here's how I would frame for you a two-word definition of the virgin birth. First, miracle. The virgin birth is a miracle. A miracle, if I would define it, is a divine act in the natural world, which is without human explanation or replication. It's an event that's in a different category. It's an event, a birth, where we are asked to believe that the Holy Spirit created out of nothing a Y chromosome that contacted Mary's ovum and produced a child like no other. It's a miracle, we are asked to believe, that produced a baby <laughs> that asks us to believe one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith, that this baby in Mary's womb was none other than the preexistent second person of the Trinity who ruled the world from the womb. There you go. A miracle. Now, miracles should be hard to believe. In fact, miracle should trouble you. I love the way that Leif Enger in his novel, Peace Like a River, reflects on miracles. Let me say something about that word miracle for too long. It's been used to characterize things or events, though pleasant, are entirely normal. Peeping chicks at Easter time, a clear sunrise after an overcast week, a miracle, people say, as if they've been educated from greeting cards. I'm sorry, but nope. Such things are worth our notice every day of the week, but to call them miracles evaporates the strength of the word. Real miracles bother people like strange, sudden pains unknown in medical literature. It's true, they rebut every rule all we good citizens take comfort in. Lazarus obeying orders and climbing up out of the grave, now there's a miracle, and you can bet it upset a lot of folks who were standing around at the time. When a person dies, the earth is generally unwilling to cough him back up. 
a miracle contradicts the will of the earth. My sister, sweet, who often sees to the nub, offered this. People fear miracles because they fear being changed, though ignoring them will change you also. Sweet said another thing, too, and it rang in me like a bell. No miracle happens without a witness. Someone to declare, here's what I saw, here's how it went, make of it what you will. Mary's response to the virgin birth, the, the announcement of it from the angel, was just that, that it was a miracle. You remember, she believed intellectually that God is powerful. She was just struggling with the mechanics, how it would happen. And that's why she said, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Uh, you know, normally that's impossible. It's Mary's response. To which Gabriel says, verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. Mary, if you believe in God, then you believe in someone who is mighty. Mary, if you believe in God who is mighty, then what's a Y chromosome? Child's play. What about you? Do you believe in miracles? Two kinds of people in the room this morning. Some of you are here this morning, you believe that the reality in which we live is an open system, that there are times, as C.S. Lewis said, where God takes off the glove and reaches down into human history and does something that we can't explain or something that we can't reproduce. You believe that God is present and active to and in this reality. There are others of us in this room for whom reality is a closed system, that if there is a God, He's basically wound things up, set them in motion, stands back and said, I hope it works out for you. That closed system. I'm not interested on either side to persuade you one way or the other. What I am interested in is to say this. Everyone in this room believes in a story that explains how you got here, why you're here, and where you're going when you're dead. Everyone believes a story. My question to you is, what is that story and what's your evidence? Because you can't prove any of it. You just have to look for the evidence and make up your mind. Which leads me to the second word I would use to describe the virgin birth. The first is a miracle. The second is that it's a doctrine. The virgin birth is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. We believed it from day one and we fought for it the whole time. We believe in the virgin birth, and we'll explain the necessity in a moment. But I want to make a clarification here about doctrine, because when some of us hear that word doctrine, we think, yeah, you Christians, there you go again. You're closed-minded, arrogant, and you don't listen to people. Now, while that may be true, some of us, probably all of us at times, that's not the meaning of doctrine. That's the word doctrinaire. And many times Christians are doctrinaire. It means we come across as know-it-alls and we don't listen and we just want you to hear what we have to say. We are not to be doctrinaire. But here's the point. Every person is doctrinal. Again, every person believes a story that explains their existence and hopefully they base that on evidence or what they believe. But often, 
you know, we miss that in the translation. So there's Mr. A and Mr. B. Mr. A is a Christian, and Mr. B is his neighbor, and he's an atheist. And hopefully here at Waterstone, we talk about neighboring, and that Mr. A would take Mr. B out for a cup of coffee after they've built this great neighboring relationship. Mr. A gets Mr. B out to coffee and says, you know, Mr. B, you may have noticed, hopefully, from some things I've said that, uh, and lived that uh, I'm a Christian. And today I want to tell you why I believe Jesus is Lord and I want to give you some evidence for that. Mr. B pushes back and he says, look, we can't know anything about God and I resent you forcing your convictions on me. What's going on here? Well, Mr. A is being doctrinal. He's espousing that he believes Jesus is king and he's trying to persuade Mr. B at least with some evidence. But my point is this, Mr. B is also being doctrinal because what's he saying when he says we can't know anything about God? What is that? That's a faith position. You can't prove God's existence one way or the other. You can't prove it scientifically. You can't not prove it scientifically. It's a faith position. So he's being doctrinal. And then when he says, and you shouldn't force your religious position on me, what's he doing? He's saying, you ought to see it my way. <laughs> he's doing the same thing he's forbidding. All persons are doctrinal. The virgin birth is a doctrine and worthy of consideration. So having defined the virgin birth as a miracle, as a doctrine, let's ask the question, why is it necessary? Why are we making such a big deal of it? Well, let's go back to the text. Luke chapter one, again, he says in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So and there's a purpose word, there's a result word there. The result is that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The text is clear. The purpose of the virgin birth is to bring to the world the Son of God. It was the vehicle to get to us with the perfect mediator, Jesus Christ, the perfect mediator between God and human beings. And he's the perfect mediator because the virgin birth enables Jesus to get here with two descriptives. First, as fully God. And second, as fully man. The virgin birth was the vehicle that brought Jesus to us fully God. He is the second person of the Trinity, ruling the world from Mary's womb. He is God in the flesh. The word, as John 1, 1 says in the message, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's Jesus coming to us as the Son of God. And being the Son of God, when the Son of God dies on the cross for our sins, his blood has the power to save the world of all sin and to restore a broken creation. It's the power of the blood of the fully Son of God. That is the hope of our salvation and the strength of our salvation. Fully God who dies for us. But it also has you know, practical applications for us too. When Jesus comes through the virgin birth as fully God, what does that mean? First of all, it means we're dealing with the smartest person who's ever lived. Jesus had the 
intelligence to deal with the energy matter equation and rework the molecules of water and turn them to wine. He could take a happy meal from a poor poor boy's lunch and from one bag feed a crowd of over 20,000 people. He could, with the clearing of his throat and the exercise of his vocal cords, stop a storm on the sea. He could take a human body that is racked with disease and, and, and make those cells whole again and heal the person. He could, with the command of his voice, drive demons out of a person. In fact, in the New Testament, as you read it through, the most consistent witness 